0: What's going on, podcasters? Welcome back to the Nano Reef Podcast. This is Alonzo, your host. I am enjoying this fine, fine summer weather. Summer's kind of rough because most people tend to actually ignore their aquariums because we're outside more. We're going on vacations and hanging out with family and friends. So if you are listening to the podcast either in the car or even just putting this on while you're doing some weekly tank maintenance... I'll be going over a couple interesting things. I want to talk a little bit about some new products that I've been kind of eyeing on the market and changes, how that's going to like impact the hobby, and then some early on success. So for a new hobbyist, someone who's thinking about getting in the hobby, I'm definitely going to talk about what I think are the best strategies to get in the hobby and stay in the hobby. Because as you know, it's a very high turnover. I think we have a lot of high turnover in this hobby, and I'll go over like my tips on how to stay in. I think the biggest reason why, so intro into that, is uh, just an instant gratification. I think the hardest thing that we all take for granted is we're in it, and we kind of committed to it, and we like it, and we enjoy it, and we have results. A lot of people get in early on and don't get the results they want, not like buying a dog. Buy the dog, you get the leash, you get the bowl, the food, you take it home that same day pretty much, and you're playing with the dog and immediately enjoying it. Oftentimes our hobby requires a lot of planning. We have to plan out where we're gonna put the aquarium. Is it the best location for the aquarium? Which aquarium should I get? Which equipment should I get with it? What do I want to keep in it? And then even once we get all that going, the dreaded cycle, which one day I'll do a whole I'll do a whole podcast on like cycling and starting an aquarium potentially, but we all dread the cycle, especially as a new hobbyist when you don't have a tank you're already enjoying. Waiting and waiting and waiting to put fish and coral is sometimes kind of pushes people away. So Welcome to the Nano Reef Podcast, and I'll be your uh, host for today. So let's get on to some of the new products that um, I really wanted to talk a little about, some new products. So what I see a lot in the market these days, and I'm seeing it at saltwateraquarium.com, is the filter media cups. So these are plastic cups that go in your sumps for those that have filter socks. So filter socks are a very common thing. I use filter socks. I love filter socks. Early on in the hobby, they do suck. Like I remember when I first started and I first did my own DYI sump, I maybe had like seven filter socks. So I had to constantly wash them and it was constant maintenance. After several Black Fridays of me buying filter socks, I now probably have like 70 filter socks and I just rotate them. So I literally do laundry for filter socks every 40, 45 days roughly. So what I'll do is I have a bucket in my closet and their dirty filter sucks, so when I switch them out, I'll take my clean ones, I'll rinse them, throw them in my sump, throw my old ones in a bucket, and then once a month I'll go to the laundromat and I'll wash them with bleach. And then I'll wash them again just to help rinse it out. And then I also before I put them in the aquarium, I do rinse them in RDI water and in the RDI water I put a little bit of prime. Now that seems a little excessive. I guess the only thing I'm worried about is any kind of uh, chloramine that might be left on the actual sock as residue. But the bleach is nice because bleach really air dries. So, you know, I never have to worry about bleach being a part of it. The socks are crystal clear. Like they're really nice filter socks and I could do that in my own washer. However... I am in an apartment building, so I do share washer units, and it does smell a little bit when you're doing this, so I don't recommend, you know, if if you share your washer, it's probably a little rude washing fish poo. I take it to laundromat, and I don't really worry, I do a nice rinse at the end, and I've been doing that for quite a few years now, but that alone, so I got this method to my management filter socks. The filter cups are nice, because you throw these media cups in there, and then you just You just put filter floss in it and throw filter floss away. So I do use filter floss on my all-in-one and on my frag tank, and I love filter floss. And you can get filter floss for really, really, really bulk. So like in tank for the holidays, I always end up buying like a year's supply worth of filter floss. And it's easy to use. You kind of cut it out, and you could just spend a day probably cutting out squares of filter floss. And then you just, you know, pull it in, throw it out, throw it back in. That's probably definitely easier than filter socks, obviously, But the filter cups are pretty cool, and you're starting to see a lot of different sizes. So on SolidAquarium.com, they even have them for some of the Red Sea Aquariums right now. And then there's a company, Sierra, is actually coming up with different media for your uh, filter cups, your generic filter cups. So it's pretty cool to see those come to market and and see this become more and more popular. They have a a wide selection, 4-inch, 7-inch, and different um, filtration for it. It's definitely a, a money saver you know, filter socks don't last forever. They're not an, an unlimited product. So eventually, you know, you'll have to throw away a filter sock after so much wear. These these media cups look like they could last a long time. So pretty cool, pretty cool item. Definitely keep an eye out on those. They'll probably be carried a couple more retailers and we'll probably see a couple more brands come to light. I'm looking at some of the pricing. Some of the generic ones are like $17 a cup the Red Sea one's $18 a cup, so it's they're not they're not incredibly expensive. I mean a filter sock's like five bucks, but a filter sock doesn't last forever either. So on to the next thing that, that's really intriguing me and pushing my buttons. So intriguing me and pushing my button is water pumps. So I have used every, okay, not every, a lot, a wide range of the water pumps in the industry. So water pumps are really important for our aquariums. And the technology has changed over the years. The way we want our water pumps has changed. But nothing really dramatic has come out. Like the, the point is to push flow. So the more flow a pump can push, the better. Obviously, controllability is great. So with this new product, Reef Octopus has the Octo Pulse 2 wave pump and 4. So they come, they come in two different models. One's are 230, $230. And the other one is, I think it's 2 280. 280 and 230. So pulse four is 280. Pulse 2 is 229, so 230. They The the smaller one uses 10 watts of power and pushes 1600 gallons an hour. That's a lot. That's a ton of flow. So that's pretty awesome to have that much flow on, on any pump, really. So it's kind of cool that they're able to do that with only 10 watts of power. And pumps, the DC pumps, the controllable pumps are nice because you're getting more flow with less power. So everyone wants to use less electricity, the cost savings and the sustainability side of that are really nice. So I can see why the industry is moving towards that. But a pump's a pump. It still moves water. It's not that like earth shattering. I guess the big thing with this new pump is the size. So this guy, the dimensions, uh, two, it's three inches by less than three inches by two and less than two and a half high. So, I mean, it's a, it's a small pump, but it has two magnetic mounts. So you get your magnetic mounts. And then a little puck, the puck kind of looks like the pucks you would have on a uh, MP10, except the puck actually sticks to a magnet, which is already on the aquarium. And then you're able to rotate that around. So it's definitely an interesting design. I just don't know that it's, it's definitely smaller. Like it's definitely smaller than the Tunsies, and it's definitely smaller than the Coral is and all the other pumps, but it's just, it's not that innovative. Like Here's what I find interesting about water pumps. This this is my rant about powerheads. Controllability is like a must-have, so everyone on the market should know. Like you either control or you're not control. So this is a controllable pump. Has an Apex hookup, zero to ten port. So that's great. You know you could hook that up to your Apex and program that how you wish. And it includes a controller. It can true. It includes the control they've been using with their new skimmers. So that has a feed mode on it. Yeah, and, and it has some programming built in, which is pretty cool, and it has a zero ten volt, so it has all that. But I mean, that's kind of expected in the industry. What I want to see is battery backup. Like, I want straight up ease for battery backup with all these new products. And and there might be something coming out in the future, and I don't know about that. But you know, some of the only powerheads that have that, the Jars, the Maxpac Jars, and the Ecotech Marine MP line, you know, has the battery backups advertised with the products that work. And none of this new stuff like has a very open solution for when the power goes out. And I I believe I am a fan of, of your pumps being on battery backup. They're easier. Most aquariums with just a pump, as long as the you know the room temperature is fairly you know relative to the tank, tanks can last a couple of, you know hours and hours with just a battery backup going. And and the, that alone, just that movement of the water will be just fine for your aquarium. So I, I think the battery backups are really what we're, we should be gearing more towards. Now, I love the pump. I love the size. Uh, the look's kind of cool, but, I mean, $230, that's a lot of flow, though. I mean, I'll give it to them. 1,600 gallons per hour, it's controllable, but I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that uh, we need to be looking towards battery backup solutions for powerheads, but it's definitely a cool little powerhead pump. Um, it's out in retailers now. Most of the major retailers have one already. Fits up to a half inch aquariums though. So that, that's also a really, really nice thing. So a couple new products. And then I was looking at the Waterbox website. That aquarium I talked about last week. So Waterbox Aquariums, I was at them at Palooza, and I got to talk to those guys. The Waterbox Silver Marine All-In-Once. So that's the 28.2 gallon frag tank that I was talking about at Palooza. Retails at $3.99. And then they have the laminate cabinet in white. It's 24 by 24 by 36, and that retails for two sixty-nine. Both available on their website now for purchase. Now, I haven't seen these at any retailer, but I've only seen them on their website. So, with shipping, comes out to $715. Um, you can get your 30-gallon water box all-in-one with a stand. Now, of course, you could just buy the tank and not by the stand. You know, you could do your own DYI stand and just buy that water box tank. But all of those water box aquariums are on the waterboxaquariums.com website. Now, most of the platinum line and this, I think the silver marine, I think, I think Marine Depot tweeted out this week that they're carrying the silver or the, no, the Platinum, the Waterboxx Platinum Reef Series on their website. And Bulk Reef Supply also has them. So you could get a lot of the Waterbox aquariums at most retailers. They're available for purchase. But I'm only seeing these on their website, unless someone else knows where you can get the Silver, the Silver Line, which is what I think I saw. Yeah, the Silver Line is what I saw at the show. But they have the the Platinum on some of the websites and the Crystal... Which is their peninsula tanks are coming out soon and those look those look awesome. I mean those look similar to the new Red Sea Peninsulas and and I I got to see the Red Sea Peninsula at the show, and my local fish store also has a gorgeous one set up. They they look great, they look phenomenal. The Red Sea ones. So anyone looking for a peninsula, you know, I, I, I love the look of the Red Sea one. This water box one looks pretty cool. The only beef I have with some of these is the sumps all come with the tanks. It'd be nice to see the retailers or, you know, they're drop shipped from the manufacturers most of these. So you, you should have an option to buy the sumps or not to buy the sumps and then save your money. Like, you know, they should take a knockoff for the sumps because, I mean, the sumps are cool and it's it's definitely convenient. I'm sure I'm sure these sumps come at a low cost to us, but man, there are some really cool sumps out there right now too. Like, you know, the Synergy Reef sumps are freaking awesome and it's definitely worth the money if you decide to get one of them. My, uh, you can even go to a custom company. Like I, I love my advanced acrylic sumps, so it's kind of annoying. Maybe someone will start doing that eventually, where you could do like build your own tank drip shop. The manufacturer, any manufacturers listening, this is what the hobbyist wants. Email me, and I will tell you all of the good secrets and what to do. So. Some cool products to look out for, and uh, if you're in, if you're in the market to shop for some new tanks, that's definitely some stuff you can check out. So on to my uh, little topic of the day: success early on for a reefer. So how can if you're getting into reefing and you know you're not a a seasoned hobbyist, what are my thoughts on where to spend the money, what to do, how to be successful long term? Like what do you do initially to stay committed to this hobby? It's definitely not a cheap hobby, and I think that's a that's a lot of the opening questions is where do I spend my money? Because not everyone's willing to like buy the best equipment because they're not really sure. You go into it with some uncertainty because you you know if you're not familiar with it, you don't know exactly what you need or what to expect. So hopefully this podcast will help you out and you'll uh, get some good good feedback and advice. So I think the biggest thing I'm gonna start with my number one investment thought process with getting into this hobby, if you were keeping corals and fish, so you want the entire ecosystem, you want an RODI machine. So a reverse osmosis, deionized water machine. You want to make that purchase early on. I think it's the most important purchase. I think it's more important than a skimmer, fancy pumps, fancy lights. Like that is the number one thing because this hobby is actually not as much about all that. It's about clean water. So the cleaner your water is, the more successful you will be early on and later down the road. As an early on hobbyist, you tend to kind of cheap that route and either, much I hope we still don't do this day and age, but dechlorinate a tap water, or we buy distilled water or spring water, or we buy at the local fish store, which is the other m- little more expensive part. And then those that are great early on hobbyists just buy an RDI machine and make their own water. As an RDI machine filters water through. A couple different filtrations. It goes through an RO membrane, and then it goes through a carbon block and just a filter block, and then sometimes it's two carbon blocks, and then it goes through a deionization block. So at the end result, that water is, is perfectly cleaned and perfectly tuned for a saltwater aquarium. It removes almost all the phosphates, if not all the phosphates and silicas, and it has zero total dissolved solids. So total dissolved solids, all the crap that the water picks up um, going from like the sinks and the pipes and all other craziness or from the air and you drink it. You don't realize you drink it, but if you take a glass and you fill it up with tap water and you take a TDS meter, which you can buy these at like a hardware store or Walmart and you swirl around the cup, you're gonna get a couple hundred TDS right out of your sink. All that stuff is, the, is what creates really bad problems long-term as an early-on hobbyist. So that's what creates bad algae outbreaks. That's what creates unwanted metals that kill um, certain corals or even kill invertebrates in the tank. So it really is really bad stuff. And once you get it in, it's really hard to get it out. That's the hard part that people don't understand. It's not like you could hit a reset button typically. like You have to just set up a new tank. You could do a large water change, but you know if you have... Uh, unwanted metal in the tank. It could be It could be, It could could be. be in a place in the tank that's impossible to get once you get your aquarium set up. So it's always good to start off with the cleanest possible water. The best way to do that is buy an RODI machine. They're not that expensive in comparison to what people spend on the tank and the fish and the coral and everything else. So my number one early on investment has nothing to do with aquarium. It's water. The hobby's about making clean water. Buy an RODI machine. You could buy it at the local fish store. I think that's like the next best option is just... just have a bucket, and go in a local fish store and buy water for them. But here's my two cents on that. Pain taking water back and forth in the hobby. It is. It's undesirable. I mean, it takes you to the fish store so you get out of the house and you get to see what they're doing, you get just see what they're selling. But it, it just makes it more inconvenient. If this hobby is convenient, you tend to stay with it longer. No one likes to haul buckets back and forth. Worst comes to worst, your bucket gets contaminated, and then you're just hauling contaminated water back and forth. Also the local fish store has to change their filters timely. When you think about it, some aquarium stores have 40, 50, 60 tanks they have to manage, they have to fill up their fill up their auto top off water and do their water changes and then they also sell to customers just like you. So, you know, that hobbyist could be buying water from them and they could have not changed their filters. It could be bad filters and they could see TDS creep in the water and you could actually be buying water that's dirty from your local fish store. Now, no one probably does this intentionally, but things do happen. You know, holidays turn around. I bet you, holidays are one of the number one times. I bet you, around Christmas, that's every year, every local fish store, it's just a little harder to change, the, to remember to change their ODI. Everyone gets busy. They're selling all their corals and their fish and their new equipment as Christmas gifts. And at the same time, they're probably using more water because it's the busier time of the year for us as hobbyists. So, well worth an investment. Number one thing. RDI water. Now test kits. So test kits would be my next uh, rant on an early on a hobbyist. You don't need the test kits. Okay, you do need testing, but you don't need these generic test kits. So you see these uh, bundled test kits that have nitrate, nitrite, phosphate, they, they have some random things mixed in and then you'll also want to buy like the the calcium and the alkalinity and the magnesium test kits. You just don't need all that. You, it's so much money so early on, and it's not worth the investment. Like when you cycle an aquarium, it should be just a, a set it and forget it. Like you set up your tank, and you make sure you have the correct salinity, and you do nothing. You literally do nothing. You continue to add water to keep the salinity at the right level. So you have your auto top off. If you didn't buy an auto top off, it's a great investment too. So it's a good early on one too because you don't have to manually top off the water. It just saves you time. But you know you continue to add. Your fresh RODI water as your top-off water as your water evaporates to maintain your salinity and that's all you do early on. Now you can add bacteria. There's so many bacteria supplements out there these days and that'll help speed up the cycling process but you really don't need to test until like four weeks in. A lot of people try to fast cycle and that's where you measure all the time and try to see if you have an ammonia spike or they dose ammonia and then let the bacteria consume that and then they hope that their tank cycles through the nitrogen cycle quickly. I just don't recommend that. I think the best thing to do is just set up your aquarium and ignore it. Dose some bacteria. Dose a little more bacteria. Maybe put some coral food in there after like your second week and don't do anything. You'll see some early on dioms and that's a really good sign. And then you just let that die off. And, and that's it. Four weeks later, your aquarium will be fine. Now, if you really are uncertain, have your local fish store test it. Most stores will test for like a dollar or a couple dollars and it saves you from buying the $30 test kit or the $20 test kit, you know, if you just want to buy one single. But the hard thing is you test ammonia when you cycle your tank and you never test it again. And they sell the test kits at like 30 tests. You don't need 30 tests. You need to test maybe twice in your whole lifetime. Same thing with nitrate, nitrites, like you don't really ever have to test that that often. You test it when things go wrong, but that's that's where I'll go to like ICP testing. I think it's more valuable than buying a test kit. And you, you literally, I have never ever used an entire test kit before it, it expires, except for testing elements. Now that's a little different, you know, calcium, magnesium, alkaline, it's a little different, but at the same time, I've never really used up any other test kit. So I just recommend saving the money there, letting the LFS test for you or do ICP testing, so ICP testing is where you take sample vials of your water out, they send it to a company, and they test for like a billion things. It's typically $50, there's cheaper ones out there, I see them now at like 40 bucks or 35 bucks on sale or something, so you they'll test all kinds of stuff. That is so much more value, one time, $40, 39 different um, ratios than buying a test kit and testing it once or twice. So it gives you a much more a setup of how your tank is, and then you dose accordingly. I also really am not a huge fan of buying up. Uh, like, I'm gonna guess if you're if you're buying high end corals, I'm gonna preface this. If you're buying high end corals like SBS corals or clams or things of that nature that are gonna consume a lot of your elements, then yeah, you know, you're gonna need your alk and your magnesium and your calcium tester. Now, I use a Hanna Checker for alk. I don't use it for calcium. I just have the sulfur test kits. You could use you know, whatever brand you want to use, ELOS, Red Sea, whatever. Those are fine, but I don't use them that often. So literally to tune my doser and for my tanks, just check ALK. And as my ALK changes, then I adjust all three. My calcium really never changes that often. And some people get away with not testing any of it, especially for like a softy. For a new person that's starting off in the hobby, your corals will not consume, especially if you're just doing really easy. Le- so your LPS, your softies, your zoanthids, your leathers are not going to consume those elements fast enough that it'll require you to buy these test kits and dose until you have a fully established tank. So you're talking maybe your year mark, your tank's chocked full of corals, that between water changes, you're actually going to need to test and actually dose. You just won't until then. Now, if you plan on getting some... Uh, SPS corals or you know, something like clam or something early on, then yeah, you want to get them. But the beauty is if you do ICP testing and you're doing that oh, maybe every other month, once a month, something like that, so the $50 you would do it would cover everything and then you wouldn't have to worry about buying that test kit. Now, that's obviously more expensive. You can get a HANA checker for $50 and the reagent refills are $10. So that's a really good investment in my opinion but – for a slow tank, for someone who's starting with a hobby, you could do like three IC pet tests a year, as long as you're doing consistent water changes, and I'm telling you, nothing's going to go wrong. So save money, especially on the generic saltwater aquarium test kits. You just don't need them. As long as you do a full cycle, and you don't overstock your tanks, you don't do anything silly, you will not need that. And you can save yourself 50 sometimes even $100. I've seen people set up new aquariums, like they, they'll post on their feeds, or they'll post on their forums, and... And the, one of the first purchases is like $100 in test kits. And I'm like, I'm hitting my head off the wall thinking that could have been something much more valuable, like a refractometer. Refractometer is a great, great investment early on. A hydrometer does nothing for you. They both measure salinity. One is incredibly inaccurate. One is incredibly accurate. Just buy the refractometer. Trust me. It'll save you in the long run. There's some other little things early on as a hobbyist, you know, you should prepare yourself to buy. Food great buckets are a great early on thing for anyone getting in the hobby. You don't really think about that, but uh, you got to store your RDI water. So food great plastic buckets, great for that. And even for mixing water. So you could have one for RDI, one for mixing. And then you have a third one if you want for your water changes. I buy Red Sea the Red Sea blue bucket, the 70, I think it makes like 75 gallons or 175 gallons, like guess what it makes. So I have like 20 or 30 red sea buckets from the years. Just every every salt comes with a bucket. So I have all these buckets. So when I do water changes. I'll siphon the water out of the tank into the bucket, mix up my you know, my salt water in the new bucket, and then just pump it in there. So you could get a cheap siphon hose, any like your generic pet store, pet supply stores. You could just get one of those like Python aquarium hoses, not so perfectly fine, and then just a cheap pump. You know, a cheap pump that could pump through a silicone hose. That's how you could just pump your water back and forth. It doesn't matter that it's loud because you're only doing it during water change. You're making noise anyways. So that would be my initial thought on what I have to buy before I ever decide an aquarium. So RDI water, save some money on some test kits, refractometer, and some general maintenance supplies. So you're looking right there around between... Three and $500 worth of junk, but it's not junk. It's necessary equipment and supplies to keep your water as clean as possible. And if you buy that first and focus on that first, you're going to be more successful in the long run. And I think people jump right into the aquarium, or they jump right into the coral, they jump right into the fish, and that's the wrong direction. It's all about making themselves happy, right? You want to have a happy home? Nobody goes to the neighborhood and Before they buy the house, they they move into the neighborhood before they buy the house. You know, you got to buy a house to be home and be happy. You don't just go to Pittsburgh and say, hey, I'm going to live in Pittsburgh. Well, I don't have a house or apartment to live in yet. You got to find them a great home. Get them clean water. Invest in those couple things. And then long term, you're going to be more successful. So say, oh, tanks. So tanks, next thing. I am a component of nanoreefing. I have done as high as a 150-gallon tank, and I have done as small as a 2.5-gallon tank. I enjoyed the 2.5-gallon tank a million times more than I enjoyed the 150-gallon tank, for a ton of reasons. One, the bigger you go, the more expensive it gets in a hobby. That could be hard, that could be challenging. A lot of people, everyone should enjoy it. This hobby should not be for somebody who just has lots of money. You should be able to enjoy this hobby on a budget, and a lot of people jump into the big tanks and make sacrifices on either equipment or on maintenance and on stocking because they have such a big tank. And that's not what you should do. I love nano tanks. I completely support uh, early on hobbyists getting into a nano tank because I think you make better decisions using a nano. So a large tank's good. Everyone will tell you 40 gallons are up because that's a lot of water. So if something goes wrong in 40 gallons, it's uh, it's it's a lot, it's, it's more diluted. So you have more water in there. If you overfeed or you overdose, the effects aren't as dramatic as if you, sometimes you could overdose in a nano and kill everything within seconds. You know, if you accidentally dump a bottle of, you know, alkalinity or a bottle of coral food, for example, or fish food in a very small tank. Sometimes you can nuke your tank fairly quickly, especially if you don't notice. Like if you don't notice right away and it have to it sits for a day and then you only notice after the results happen from what you did, everything could be dead. In a larger tank, you have some time there. The water is a little bit more diluted. You know, it takes a while for the whole thing to get polluted up. So you have you have more breathing room. I think that's why people really go for larger tanks. I, I don't agree. I think a smaller tank is the way to go. The biggest reason why is water changes. So to correct most problems that would occur when you do dump excess food or whatever in a tank, you just do a water change. Best thing to do is larger water changes. If you could do a 100% water change, you probably get 95, 90% of the problem out of the tank. You know, you never do a sole 100% water change. There will still be water somewhere either in like the back of the filter compartments or you know, in the bottom where the sand is or you're never able to do a 100%, 100%. But, you know, you you do in theory a 100% water change and that should set the tank back to the salt mix you use. So whatever the salt mix you use, that should be the parameter as long as you're using clean RDI water. So if you listen to me and you use clean RDI water that's testing zero TDS and it doesn't have silica and phosphates in it, then you will set your tank back up for success. That is really expensive to do though if you have a 120-gallon tank. Like dude, no one can afford to do weekly or monthly water changes 100% for a 100-gallon aquarium or if they can't afford it, it's just a pain, it's a pain to make. Like how many five-gallon buckets is that? You would need to buy a brute trash can and even then, that's three or four brute trash cans mixed to do 100% water change. So it's just inconvenient. A smaller tank, a nano tank, you know, when you're running anywhere between a five and a ten gallon aquarium, a hundred percent water change is nothing. It's easy. Even a 50% water change is so is such a dramatic change that you could pretty much fix it's almost a fix-all. Not a fix-all, but it does fix a lot. So I definitely recommend for an early-on hobbyist to stay in the hobby a small tank. Water changes are easier. Lighting is easier. You don't need this massive light fixture. Especially because most of those tanks don't have much depth. So a lot of hobbyists battle depth and coverage. You don't have to worry about that with a small tank. I have a 2.5 gallon tank that has a par 38 bulb over it. I bought on Amazon for like 30 bucks or something. It's been running for eight months. It's growing SPS, LPS, softies, and leathers just fine. No issues at all. And the tank has depth. It's a it's a cylinder. It's, a, it's actually a vase. It's actually a flower vase I have and so the bottom has like some leathers and some zoanthids and uh, and a, a favia yeah like a toxic favia on the bottom so they get very little light in theory they they're shadowed often more than anything but the flow kind of moves the leathers around so they get they get so they still get some decent light and it works just fine look at the cheapest light other it's in a light fixture like a lamp fixture but you know you, there's a lot of other Entry level lights they're making now. And they're making a lot of new ones. Like Kessel's making those small H80s, which are pretty cool. Nanobox has their little light. You could even, you know, use the Kessel A160s. They have single puck radions. And you know, there, there's, a, there's a ton of light fixtures out there. And you don't need a radion though. That, that's the best part. For a tank that size, just some nice blue lights, but you don't need like a T5, you don't need a metal highlight, you don't need all that craziness. You could get away with a smaller light and save money. Sand, rock. You don't need as much sand and rock is really expensive. That was like the biggest lesson learned when I bought my oh my god, my 100 gallon aquarium. Man, it, I it was, was a while. this was like 10 years ago, and I was trying to do like the, the gallon, the rock per gallon rule. So, like, I had 100 gallons, so I need a I needed like 10 pounds per gallon or, or 10. I don't know, I don't even remember what I looked up, but it, I think the measurement was like I needed 100 pounds of rock or something. I don't know what it was. I don't remember what the old saying was. But it was nothing. Like when I went to the local fish store, picked out my pieces, and I got my bill, I was like, whoa, like that, this is like $200, $300 or something. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. This has got to be what I need. And then I went home and I put it in the tank. and I feel like I had nothing. I was like, oh, my God, there's so much space still. Like I could fit like 20 more pieces of rock. And that was back when everyone was like, packing their tanks full of rock, so there's like this minimal aquascape going on now where people aren't putting as much rock in the aquarium, and I I do like that. I think that's pretty neat. My cube doesn't have much, and my main tank actually has less rock than my cube has in it, so that's that's crazy. That's a 60 versus a 40, but you don't need to do as much rock in a smaller aquarium, like one or two pieces, so you're talking like really, really cheap. You're going to save a lot of money on rock, and if you're doing a reef tank, if you're a reef not like me, it's really about the corals anyways. It's really not about the rock. You can do like a little rock aquascape. Sand versus no sand. You'll need a small bag of sand. You won't need like six bags of sand. Like I've spent $200 in sand before trying to put sand in an aquarium. And then the amount of work it takes also. Like I rinse my sand. The amount of work it takes to like rinse your sand then put it in your aquarium and then put the rock in is a total pain. So you skip all that. That's the best part. You don't have to do sand though. Like I'm throwing that out there. It's cheaper, you save money, it actually is easier to manage your tank. All of my power heads are pointed where my detritus gathers in the corner of my 55 gallon and I just siphon it out. And actually, what I really like to do, this is a hot, hot tip for everyone, is when I only do water changes once a week, but I change my filter socks twice a week. Right before I change my filter socks and I'm not doing a water change, I'll still pull up my siphon hose and I'll create a siphon from the top of the tank into my sump, into my filter socks, and I'll go ahead and siphon any detritus on my bare bottom into my sock so then I could just pull it out and switch it out. So it actually pulls all that, that nasty gunk out of the tank if you're running bare bottom. So That's a, a neat trick and definitely something I've been doing for a long time. So other good reasons why an early tank and why it's gonna be more successful early on. So that just makes maintenance easier. With a smaller tank, you're limited on fish. Being limited on something prevents you from being stupid and buying something big. A lot of the bigger fish are harder. Like, tangs are harder to keep. Angels are a little bit more finicky to keep. So you won't you won't be tempted to buy these things because you will never fit one in your 10-gallon nano tank. You are really only limited to, like, some gobies. And uh, you're just really limited to fish, honestly. Even, like, a clown is almost too much for a 10-gallon. So you'll get to enjoy one maybe two fish if you're really lucky in that in that small tank but the nice thing is they won't pollute up the tank either think a lot of the problem with someone who gets like a 40 gallon tank for their first time they see all the swim space after they put the rock in and they keep thinking like oh i could fit more fish oh i could fit more fish oh i could fit more fish and then when you buy that last fish it's just too late like you don't have an algae problem you don't have a nitrate problem you don't have a problem with your nutrient levels in the tank, until after you buy that last fish, and then you're not gonna take the fish back, you know, you're not gonna be like, well, you know, this last angelfish, or this pair of, crow, this player of clownfish was just too much for my tank, I, I've, I've figured out that I shouldn't have bought them, you know, can you take these back? No, they live with it, they keep it, and then they need to then spend a little bit more time doing maintenance, and buying bigger cleanup crews, and you know, it's just more managing. And a small tank, you really buy one fish, typically, maybe two, tiny fish if you're lucky. And you normally put more thought into that one fish. Like if you if you say like if you had to pick one fish, what would it be? Well, you probably buy like the coolest fish you could buy for that tank. Whereas like a 40 gallon, you're like, oh, I want a variety. Like I'm going to do some clowns. I'm going to do a hawk fish. I'm going to do a goby. I'm going to do a tang. Like I'm going to do all this stuff. And you don't put much investment into each and of it once. You just, you know, you're packing it full of fish. And a little nano tank, you're like, what is the coolest? rarest fish I can get. So you get some like off the wall, like red striped tremagobi from the Philippines. Completely awesome fish. Get a pair of those or you get like a, you get like a goby pistol shrimp combo. Completely awesome combo. And that's way cooler than, you know, just a bunch of generic local fish store fish in your 40 gallon. And then you have too many fish as it is. So Continuing on corals, so when you're then picking corals, so you got your one fish, maybe your two fish, and you're putting your corals in your tank. The nice part about a smaller tank is it's easier to fill up and pack out your tank. My 100-gallon tank, when I had my 150 or whatever it was, gallon tank, when I, after I bought corals for like two months, the tank was still completely empty. And I was buying larger corals. I wasn't buying frags back then. This is when I was buying like massive leathers and some other, like a big bubble tip anemone, like my tank was still empty. It took forever for me to even get a corner of the tank looking great. When you have a small 10, five gallon nano, you could put like a dozen frags in and within six months, your tank have a fuller feeling, like you have that full tank effect. You'll grow out of the tank quickly, but as an early on hobbyist, that's being successful, getting hooked in early on, that's okay growing out, Tank upgrades are way more fun than buying a big tank and getting bored because it's it's not colorful or you, it feels empty, you're not attached to it, you're not enjoying it. A little tank, you could have a full-blown reef in a year with the right corals because you just don't have a lot of room to work with. And that's sometimes more exciting than having too much room to work with and you're buying all this crap and it's some of it's dying or not growing and then you just have all the space and... It just looks like a, a box of water and, and some fish. And you don't want that. You want a nice, colorful reef. So I love a small tank. You could get some early on diversity of corals, like some encrusters and maybe like a hammer and some leathers. And your tank looks full almost instantly for cheap. Like you don't have to spend much money. I uh, When I did my 2.5 gallon, I bought like a dozen corals and it was already full. And it was awesome. And now they're growing. Like my leathers twice as big. Clove polyps have actually encrusted over some entire rock, and they're like on their own little island up against the glass. And I even fragged one of my utter chaos zoanthids—a single polyp from my main display—and now there's like six polyps slowly growing out, slowly filling, and it looks awesome. And I haven't done anything, so I like—I like that in a smaller tank. I also like that you get more intimate with what's inside. So in a big tank, you have that one fish you bought, and you love that fish, but you never see it. They can't really hide it from you in a nano. I'm not gonna lie. Like the coral that you bought and you put it in the middle of the tank and you're six inches down, unless you pull up the camera and you zoom in and you look, you're not going to find that or you're not going to see it that often. In a nano tank, you can get real close, get some macro shots, if you like macro photography, but you you get like up close and personal. And that's a more a better experience for an early on hobbyist. But I really think success early on, getting a smaller tank, it's easier to manage, it's easier to keep water keep up with your water maintenance. Definitely, definitely, inner reefing is the way to go for me. So those are my early on success tips, thoughts. If you're getting into the hobby, it's definitely an ex, it, it's not the cheapest hobby. It's rewarding. I love it. I've been doing this for ten years. I feel like I've gotten used to it now. Like it's really streamlined to me. After you get in your initial investment, like the RODI stuff and like the testing equipment that you need, you know, your basic element testers. And your refractometer and your buckets and your hose, you know, all that stuff. Once you get past that, like every tank you set up, if you become an addict and set up multiple tanks like I do, it doesn't, it's not as expensive because you already have all that. And that's, that's the key. Those are the things that matter. Like your fancy pumps, they don't matter. I mean, they matter in the long term. They matter, but they don't. Like a, a protein skimmer doesn't really matter. You, these all-in-one tanks that you could buy nowadays, the ones that I'm recommending, the little ones, you don't even need a protein skimmer. That's not even worth it. water change is just better. You don't need fancy lights. Uh, You know, a lot of the problems with hobbyists is the lights are so complicated nowadays. There's so many options. You could tune so many different spectrums, intensities, and colors that you often program the light that is not truly great for coral growth. Or you play with the lights too often and your corals can't adapt and get used to the optimal spectrum that you want to give them and they don't grow. Just a basic on and off of some of the the, the, the lower end lights often is better in my opinion than some of the high tech lights out there. And for a nano tank you just don't need a super complicated light. Controllers, that, that on a nano tank isn't, isn't really necessary. When I think of like a controller or a controllable pump, controllable power heads, like some of the more expensive parts of the hobby, when you're investing in that, it's because you're also gonna invest in hundreds of dollars worth of corals and fish, or more than hundreds of dollars. So when you have a full-blown reef, when your 10-gallon tank is fully grown, like you know, you're know you sitting on your year mark, you're chock full of corals, you now have raised these little frags into full-blown mini colonies. You wanna take care of them, you want them to last a long time. It's well worth buying a controller to protect that investment now early on it's just not worth it like when your tanks your first two months month is cycling then your next two months is just kind of like your tank just kind of adapts it's got that early on tank syndrome it's going through its algae phases you're adding some corals adding adding a fish and you're adding your invertebrates your cleanup crew so your tank's changing so much that it just isn't worth going through and trying to tune a tank with a controller. Like, oh, I'm gonna buy a controller and I'm gonna set my power heads to this. There's nothing in your tank as long as you have good flow that matters. That you need all that. Battery backup's always good. Like, that's a good investment. So if you're if you're doing it for that reason, I totally understand. And and most controllers are used just to control heaters, to control your backup heater and your your heater in case it overheats or fails on you. As long as you get a quality heater that doesn't matter as much, like those Cobalt Aquatics Neotherms, I use those like crazy. I have the 25 watt one in my 2.5 gallon. I've had that in there for well over, I don't know, a year. Well, I've had that for heater for a long time, but I've had it in the tank for eight months roughly, and I've never had an issue. Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen one day, and that's that's what the controller's for, but... Early on, it's just not necessary. You know, when you have your one thirty dollars fish, but you have $3,000 worth of equipment, was it really worth it? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. If you think it's really worth it, I think all of that money should go to a really good RDI setup, some basic equipment to do water changes, to make your water changes easier. It's well, like a good siphon and a pump to pump your water back, that's more valuable than a protein skimmer because... You know, a skimmer. Granted, it pulls water out, but it's not going to do 100% water change for you. Like that, that's really what's going to do the work. Now you could put all the money and equipment into the automatic water changes. You could do that, but honestly, the good old school—throw on the Nana Reef podcast, listen to me, do the water change. That's much better. Or music. I'm a music guy. I love. Like, I'll start off listening to some YouTube and and what new videos people are putting out, but then I'll eventually go to me just putting on some uh, good jams, scrubbing down the aquariums, and doing the water change. I am going to leave you guys on that. It has been way longer than I expected for this podcast, so if you are still cleaning your tank, I'm sorry that it's taking you this long. You just need to spread out your weekly maintenance routine so you're not stuck in front of your aquarium for three hours. Sit and enjoy it. Like, when I get done here... I'm going to open up here, and I'm going to go hang out next to my cube. I got that nice Gorgonian last weekend, and its uh, it looks really awesome right now, right before the lights go out. It's a photosynthetic Gorgonian, so I don't have to actually feed it. I don't know why it looks so cool right now, but it looks pretty awesome. I will definitely probably put together another podcast tomorrow, so I have a decent collection early on, and And don't listen to all of them. Listen to the ones that pertain to you. Like, I'll go for some different topics. You guys can kind of hear what I talk about, maybe review some products that I have, talk about my aquariums. I think that's the one I want to do next. Enjoy. Until next time, get your RDI systems working, and I will catch you later.